F20. Again, we're into letters now, folks. I'm just telling you, January 20th, I'm Guy Adami, joined with by Dan Nathan. This is Market Call. Today, we're going to focus on the latest Wall Street research. And in a few minutes, and I promise it's just a few, EY from SoFi will be joining us. Today's Market Call is brought to you by our three presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi. Get your money right all in one app and open exchange because, Dan Nathan, they manage the virtual meetings that matter. How are you, Dan? How uh, are you? I'm, dude, this is like a happy day. You are rocking your Arthur Fonzarelli uniform here. You're just kind of sporting the pipes, the black T-shirt. You are fired up. And I got to tell you, every time you say, SoFi, get your money right, all in one app, I was out with Liz last night. I think I said it to her like 10 times, and she was getting <laughs> kind of annoyed at a certain point. But we'll get to that in a little bit. I'll say this, guy, and we're going to talk about the NASDAQ and, and the sell-off with Liz in her weekly blog post that she has on SoFi.com. You know, she's talking about buying the dip of the NASDAQ. But this move is really kind of interesting because I had some friends kind of hit me over the course of this morning here as we're getting into this. And they were listening to our market calls over the course of the week. They're listening to our podcast, that sort of thing. And we were kind of really laying out what the heck was going on in the NASDAQ. And when I look at this kind of chart and I look at the break of this uptrend, and we're going to get deeper into this, and I look at how it bounced right off. This is the NDX, the NASDAQ 100. It literally kissed that 200-day moving average, which has not done in a very long time. It looks perfect. But if our main man, Carter Braxton Worth, was here, he'd say that that uptrend that has been in place for a year that was support is now resistance. And we got oversold, no doubt about it here. What's your take, though, guy? Because Netflix earnings kick off tonight and we're going to get we're going to get in the meat of tech earnings here. What do you think? Is this a perilous spot for technology right now? Well, I mean, by the way, you know, when you say things like that, I immediately think of the great Jimi Hendrix, Lost Too Soon, his obviously great song, Excuse Me While I Kiss the Sky. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening today. For a day or two at least, the NASDAQ is excusing itself, bouncing off that 200-day like a boss, as the kids say. But <laughs> I think to your point, it's going to be short-lived. The uptrend has finally been broken. We're going back and taking a look at that uptrend. I think we will fail there. I think subsequently we're going to trade through the 200-day. Now, most people out there will say, listen, we did exactly what we needed to do in terms of technicals, and they're right, but now the fundamentals start coming into play, and you still have a lot of overpriced stocks. Now, you're going to hear from Netflix, as you mentioned, but when we get into the big kahuna names, God forbid they were to come in line or, heaven forbid, miss, then we have some trouble here. So I get why we're bouncing. I think you do as well. You mentioned the oversold conditions. My sense is, though, this rally in the NASDAQ or the NDX is going to be short-lived. Yeah, so one concept that's not you know too familiar with many investors, at least in the equity markets over the last, let's say, 10 years, is down on the year. You know, We have the NASDAQ down more than 6% of the year. We have the S&P 500 down 3.5% of the year. Yeah, we're just a few weeks into the year. Who knows? But let's look at that S&P 500 chart because, again, didn't get anywhere near its 200-day guy, but definitely got a little support on that uptrend. And that peak to trough decline was probably about half of the NASDAQs at its lows yesterday. We had bank earnings. You and I have been talking about them a lot. There was some disappointing ones. I mean, the move in JP Morgan was pretty staggering. If you think about it, the one-day move in Goldman Sachs the day after their earnings down 8%, staggering, but only down 5% peak to trough. That seems to be the number over the last year in the S&P 500. Yeah, look, and I mean, you said it, the SPX 
has found the support in the form of this trend line. But the concern here, in my opinion, is, you know, we haven't had a test of that 200-day moving average in light years, it seems like. And I think it's just a foregone conclusion that we're going to get there. So the fact that the NDX did it and bounced leads me to believe at some point we're going to see the same type of action in the SPX. We'll see. But as we get into earnings season, obviously, we're going to know a lot more. You mentioned the financials quickly. You know, a decade or so ago, obviously, the financials were a much bigger portion of this. Now they're nowhere near as important in terms of overall heft, for yeah. lack of a better word. But they are important in terms of what it means for the economy going forward and sort of consumer sentiment. So we'll see. But the one that I've been looking at, as you know, is the IWM, or in this case, we have the RUT, which, in my opinion, has also sort of broken through some huge support levels. And although it is bouncing today, it's still below what should be theoretically major support that we've seen over the last year or so, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, you know, again, and it's kind of an anemic bounce. And that false breakout a couple months ago really got a lot of investors, I think, turned around. It might have been saying something for just a very short period of time about potential growth. Listen, the failed breakout, the nature of it, and then going through that technical support that's been in place over the last year, making a new 52-week low. I mean, it's pretty shocking that we're talking about a major U.S. equity index that just made a new 52-week low. And the Again, these are something that we haven't heard, right? Investors haven't heard in a very long time. I'll just say this about earnings season. You know, you said just a, what is it saying about the economy? What is it saying about the economic backdrop? I think it's really important, though, what happened with the financial stocks or banks in particular is that with costs higher, their earnings are going to be lower and interest rates higher and inflation may be sticking around longer. What investors now have to contemplate are valuations. And that's what's going on right now. And that's, you know, to your point, you said, heaven forbid, if any of those mega cap tech names that we've gotten very comfortable with, we're saying Microsoft at 27 times is cheap. That's become part of investor vernacular. Do you know what I mean? But if we see a compression in margins and we see earnings that are basically being valued in the S&P 500 at 10-year highs, you know, 22 times or 21 times or something like that, sooner or later, there will be a sort of a reset. So that's what really I'm most focused on as we get through earnings season and what guidance looks like for the first half of the year. Which is why 10-year yields are so important. You know, again, if yields are going higher, typically it's suggestive of an economy that's doing better. If the economy is doing better, it stands to reason that the small caps, the RUT, the IWM, the most economically sensitive names should do better. That's not happening, which is why I'm concerned. But here we are. We're basically going to trade up to, Dan, that red line, that line that had been support back, I think, in 2017, resistance in the fall, I think of 19 or 20. And now we're right up against that resistance level again. I've said it for a while that I thought we were going to 2%. I thought it would happen by the end of last year. It didn't. But we got dangerously close a couple days ago. And here we are sort of around that 183 level. Let's see what happens. I still think rates are higher. Yeah, so if we're talking about inflation, we're talking about rates going higher to battle inflation. You got to talk about crude oil. It just made a seven-year high. You've been calling for it. We have a little bit of a breakout. It's contending with that prior high here. You and I have some sort of different views on this. And I think mine have to do more with like kind of my muscle memory when the Fed started coming off the zero interest rate bound after the financial crisis back in 14 and 15 and they ended taper. You know, we saw crude oil get hit very hard. The dollar rallied rates rallied. It's different this time. No doubt about it. The backdrop, the economic backdrop, and the just kind of fits and starts of the global recovery 
are different. But to me, you know, if crude were to stay up here, this is a problem for a lot of earnings, you know, because we can look across, you just mentioned it, you know, we've seen home builders get hit of late, right? When the big story about home builders, like input costs were really high, but we're seeing crazy demand given the rate environment and given some of the great migration and some of the sort of stuff. So to me, I just think that this is a problem. Crude oil is a problem if it stays up here. And crude oil is also a problem if it goes down too precipitously because it would probably be going down for the wrong reasons. Look, I think on our market call futures, we'll highlight sort of what's been going on in lumber because that chart is really pretty interesting. It looks a, a lot like this crude oil chart, but in a much more dramatic way. But you mentioned import costs without question. It's a question of how can companies either eat those costs and continue to try to hold on to their margins or pass them on. And that's what I think people are struggling with right now. But something that we're not struggling with, Dan, is the great EY from SoFi, who before we get into it, Elizabeth, I'd like to ask you the following question. Will this be the last game in a Packer uniform that Aaron Rodgers plays? Oh, no. I, wow. I got confused. I mean, I, you were I thought, stammering I thought for a there. second you were... <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me if it was going to be the last Packer game of the year. And the answer to well, that was going to be no. So obviously then the answer to your question is still no. Is this the last season that he's in a Packer uniform? Probably. I'm going to go with an 85% chance yes on that. But Liz thinks there's a couple more games this season for Aaron Rodgers. She hopes. In that yeah, yeah, a couple she more. I think, I think there's exactly three more. <laughs> which will get the Packers to play at SoFi Stadium, which out question you will be in attendance. I mean, think about that. Wrap your head around that young EY with your Christmas ornament on the tree, Elizabeth. Now, I know. fast forward to today's EY, working at SoFi, being an integral part of that company and potentially seeing yeah. your team play in your stadium. I mean, talk it's to me about mind that blowing. quickly. Mind-blowing. You, you know, know it's that, funny. It didn't occur to me until sometime in fall. I think it was like October it occurred to me that the Packers could possibly play in a Super Bowl at SoFi Stadium and that I worked for SoFi. It was, it just hit me in that moment. And I can't imagine what it would be like if that's the case. It's like all of my worlds collide in the best way possible. That would be a peak for me, big peak. Well, there you go. All right. Speaking of peaks, we have the NASDAQ down about 10% from its peak. And it was just pre-Thanksgiving. And this was one of the themes that you and I and, and Guy have been talking about on Market Call over the last few weeks, the inability for the NASDAQ to confirm any of the new highs. I think it's really important to remember, in the S&P, that is, over the last you know month and a half or so. So you have a report out this morning on the SoFi website, your, your blog here. And before we get there, we just want to kind of highlight this slide. And so this is from Bespoke, and they're talking about NASDAQ 10% corrections. And this 10% one is kind of run of the mill if you think about it from the global financial crisis. We've had some serious corrections over you know, the last 10 years or so. And I think it's important to remember in Q1 of 2021, a year ago, we had you know, greater than a 10% correction, but some of the biggest names in the index went down more than the index. I think Apple was down 20% at its lows from its highs in February to its lows in, in March or so. So just give us a take here, what you're feeling here. You have this report out, wash, rinse, repeat. Talk to us about the NASDAQ here. Drop some knowledge, LY. Yeah. Well, you said it's not confirming new highs, but what it is doing is confirming new lows, right? And if you look at even just that tweet from Bespoke, the average correction on the NASDAQ is a little bit bigger than the average correction on the S&P. But even on the S&P, the average correction is like 14.5%. So 10% is not that bad. And given 
the huge mountain that we've climbed in all of these indexes, this is not the end of the world. But what I do think it is, is a shakeout that needs to happen. And when I'm writing, I usually think of the last line before I even write the piece. And the last line of this one is get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think that's what's going to happen this year. And, and unfortunately, I mean, I hate to burst anybody's bubble. I think we're going to be uncomfortable for the better part of the entire year because we haven't even seen the Fed move yet. All of these moves in the index are just speculating on what the Fed might do. So what I think is happening now is obviously we broke below that 200-day moving average. That was a huge psychological threshold for everybody. And we're probably going to bounce above again today, which is fine. But what's happening is the dip buyers, they're still there, right? You're still seeing dip buyers. I mean, they're there today, but they're not sticking around as long. So they come in, they swoop in and they buy, but then they don't stay long enough to keep the index above some of those levels. And I think we're going to continue breaking through it and we're going to trade in a different range on the NASDAQ. And frankly, it's about time. It was ridiculousness before this. It's interesting you say be comfortable being uncomfortable. I think that's the mantra of the Navy SEALs. And quite frankly, you probably would have been a badass one, number one. And number two, this wash, rinse, and repeat comes at such a peculiar time for me because as I went into my bathroom last night, I saw this this just for men gray stuff. And on the box, that's exactly what it said. Wash, rinse, repeat. Not that I'm using it, by the way. I mean, I'm with I'm the dance with gonna the prom ask. after the prom because if I'm going gray, it's happening. But apparently there are people in my house that are not that <laughs> fond of it. With all that said, another mantra has been don't fight the Fed. And that's obviously been true when they're adding liquidity and they're, they're the backstop. By being bearish, you're effectively fighting the Fed. But if that's true on the one side and to this slide and to what you've been talking about, isn't that true on the other side when the Fed has done an about face and by being bullish now or being a dip buyer now, you're effectively fighting the Fed? Yeah, I think that's fair. So there's two mantras I would use. Don't fight the Fed is obviously one of them. But another one is the trend is your friend, right? We hear that all the time. Unfortunately, the trend in this case is down. And the trend in a couple indexes is down. The Russell is another one. I used to think you guys put that up to give me something to talk about because it's one of my favorite asset classes. And now I think you just do it to harass me. But the Russell trend, not looking good, right? But here's, here's something that is interesting. If you look at the VIX compared to all of this, so obviously we've seen pretty big shakeouts in some indexes and, and a lot of names over the last three months or so. The VIX, though, hasn't spiked terribly high, even on some of those down days. But we moved the range of the VIX up. So I think we're going to trade in a higher range of the VIX for 2022, which is another uncomfortable place to be, right? We've been in that range of like 15-ish on the VIX for a long time, and we've been really happy there. But that's when the Fed was pumping everything into the market. So fighting the Fed in this case is still buying high multiple stocks, right? And it's going into those highly valued tech names. It's going into the stuff that's going to get hit as soon as the Fed does liftoff. And now there's people even floating, and for, I'm one of them, that it's possible they do 50 bips right away just to get it out of the way. And the market is not going to like that. So fighting the Fed at this point is putting too much risk on the table in the wrong spots. Yeah. Before no, Dan, hold on. Before yeah. Dan gets to this, I just want to address something. We are not attempting to exorcise you in any way. Dan and I have been talking about the IWM or the RUT for many, many, many months now. So please don't think it's our attempt to aggravate you all right well i'd I'd say i'd say speak for your yourself guy because i I do whatever i can to aggravate liz and uh, 
as, as the most possible. It does. That's fair. Uh, I do. All right. You know, speaking about, you know, pumping, you were saying pumping liquidity and pumping. Guy Adami has been a steadfast bull in AMD, advanced micro devices. And this is the company that really better executed than their longtime rival, Intel, on many different kind of product transitions over the last couple of years. And I think the market cap guy got near like 200 billion. I think it almost passed Intel's ones. And I know that was pretty shocking here. So let's talk about this downgrade from Piper Sandler today. The analyst downgrades in neutral, and they're just kind of citing concerns about a slowdown in the PC market. I think that, again, a slowdown after a pretty sharp you know, ramp over the last couple of years. No one really kind of saw that coming, but the pandemic was obviously a benefit. They're talking about some headwinds from the closing, the, their Xilinx deal, and then Broader market dynamics guy around high multiple, high growth technology stocks. Now, AMD was never really a high growth or a high multiple stock for a very long time. It had an amazing year last year. What's your take on this call? And let's broaden it out to semis in general. All right. So $130 price target. The stock's trading 126, I think, right now. I think the all-time high was a month and a half, two months ago at 165. So just for context. And to your point, Dan, I think when we got up there, it was north of or either side of $200 billion in terms of market cap. It's probably about $151 billion or so now. I think AMD existed many years ago just to make sure Intel wasn't thought of or considered a monopoly. And that's true. I mean, AMG sort of was just out there. Then Lisa Sue sort of came in a few years ago and she turned it around. She got them into the right businesses. Now, this Piper downgrade is spot on in terms of everything they said. The environment this year is going to be challenging. Valuation is a concern. And when you're trading at this kind of multiple, I get it. The market's probably going to shoot first, ask questions later. In my opinion, though, it's coming at a time when we're right up against this uptrend line. I think we're going to hold it. Now, if I'm wrong, which I am often, if you watch Fast Money, you know that's the case. We're going to test the 200-day moving average, and we'll see what happens if and when we get there. But until then, this uptrend that we've been in, to me, Dan, remains intact. Yeah, so we got to talk about one, though, NVIDIA. It's also one that you were very bullish on last year. It had that huge ramp late in the year. I think you started to say, hey, listen, uncle, you know, when you see parabolic moves like that, this is a company that, you know, is basically doing everything right, but it was getting close to an $800 billion market cap. When you think about it, it was just truly astounding, trading it over 30 times sales. Again, this is a semiconductor company. So you see that peak to trough decline from the highs just a couple months ago of about 27, 28% or so, getting very near a very similar sort of technical setup that you just identified in AMD. But again, if we're worried about valuations in AMD, then you should be worried about NVIDIA at 20 times sales. Now, a PC slowdown, yeah, that'll hit them. You know, they're exposed to a lot of areas in autonomy and a lot of the kind of AR and VR and all this stuff. I think that latest leg in the fall was because of metaverse. Okay, so that's data center. I get it, man. What's your take here? here because this one to me is a lot more precarious than AMD. I agree for the reasons you cited. It is more expensive on any metric you want to look at. I do think they have more growth opportunities, but I don't think the market is focused on that. Now, clearly when things were going great into the fall, nobody cared about valuation. But as rates have gone up, whether justified or not, obviously valuations have been a concern and it's become a shoot first, ask questions later. This trend line is intact. But to your point, I think this one looks a bit more precarious. So you've seen a huge downdraft since effectively Thanksgiving. 
feels like it's going to continue here, Dan. Again, not that the business model or the business opportunities have changed, yeah. but the environment around all of these stocks has changed in the form of higher interest rates and now valuation being a concern. All right, Liz, you know, you've had some great insights on Market Call over the last few weeks about some of the different subsectors within technology. How are you feeling about semiconductors in particular, the SMH? It really has shown some very good outperformance, a large part because of NVIDIA and AMD and, and the kind of their rise in that index there or the ETF that tracks that index. That's a pretty constructive looking chart if you think about it. It's been a lot of back and filling or so. You see where the support is. I'm just curious where you line up as far as semis relative to some software names in tech. Yeah, well, let me let me tell you a story. So oh, I hold on, hold on, whoa, was, whoa, whoa, whoa. I like this. I'm just gonna sit back for a second. Go ahead. <laughs> when I was an analyst at Baird, me and one of my fellow analysts used to laugh about the ways that portfolio managers would talk about their calls. They would be overweight or underweight. And our favorite one was when somebody said that they were a high conviction neutral which was just a fancy way of saying, I am positive that I don't know, right? <laughs> and honestly, that's how I feel about semis. I have tried for a really long time to have strong feelings for semis. And I think the trouble with this for me is I don't know what's going to drive them for the next six months. So if you look at demand, I think there's still going to be strong demand for semis. I mean, even if there is a breakdown in hardware, you've still got vehicle demand. There's plenty of demand that will be out there. If it's demand that's driving them, that's positive. If you look at the difference between how semis have acted versus software, there's been, software has taken it on the chin a lot worse than semis have. And that's usually a cyclicality signal. So that would be good for semis. But then if you think about just what's happening in the market, everything that we opened this show with, there's this risk off sort of sentiment, which is not good for semis. And if we've got growth concerns, Semis are super sensitive to that, also not good for semis. So I'm stuck in this sort of high conviction neutral place with semis as I don't know what drives them going forward. I think that what's probably going to drive them is that more beta sensitive feeling. So if we continue in a bumpy ride, especially in the NASDAQ, I don't know that semis is the place to be. Yeah, well, that you know, that's a good segue here because supply chain issues have been a big part of the semi story for the last year or so, and we just saw this. You know, Jeffries downgrades Ford today or this week, and this is really important because again, Ford had to actually go offline with one of their factories, and I think that was one of the reasons why the stock got hit really hard yesterday, largely due to the fact their inability to get product, and the product is all these new semiconductors that are going into their autos. Guy, talk to me about this down downgrade because you've been on this train again i know i'm pumping arthur fonzarelli here maybe it's something about this kind of wisco thing i don't know if liz knows this but arthur fonzarelli <laughs> spent some time in wisconsin back in the late 70s guy right do i know uh, that there's a statue of him in, on the river there's a <laughs> bronze statue of the fonz on the river in and, there, and there should be i mean there's no bronze statue of chuck the older brother of the cunninghams who was gone <laughs> into season two, early season three. But that's probably for another podcast or something else that we do, Dan Nathan. So my point is, so here's my point all along. And I got in this train, I would say mid-teens or so. I was late to it, but at least I got on it. And my call was, look, it's a valuation thing here. Ford is finally going to be rewarded for all the forays they're making in the EV, rightly so. But when I look at a company, you look at any company with 8% EPS growth, 14% growth in this environment, I mean, people are giving them, those companies, a market multiple, if not better than that. Now, I'm not suggesting that Ford 
should get a market multiple by any stretch. What I've been saying all along is they're deserving of a low teens multiple, you know, 14, 15, which is why I thought the stock could get to 30 bucks. You can do that math, Dan. Two bucks they're going to earn, 15 multiple, there you go. And again, it got close. Does this downgrade make sense? All right, they're playing a little stock market here. I get it. But I don't think Ford's going significantly lower than here. I think they're in the right businesses at the right time. And finally, after a decade of meandering, they're being rewarded for the hard work they've done. That's my view. That's pretty cogent, by the way. Well, and they've also actually <laughs> executed on their plan as far as at least articulating that plan about how they're going to be moving their fleet to EVs. And listen, what's happened? Look at that chart right there. You see that breakout or that that bounce off the 200-day moving average, then the breakout into the high teens. You know, At that point, I think the fact set estimate for next year or for the year that we're in right now was somewhere, I don't know, guy, what was like one? 70 or something like that again you were saying put a 10 multiple on that i can do that math right so now the expectations keep moving higher you know their expectations for sales of these electric vehicles the f-150 the maki that sort of thing keep going higher so to me interesting one it's coming up against that very sharp uptrend or so i think it probably could correct to 20 or below that as kind of some of the i don't know the pixie dust of the tesla thing kind of wears off a little bit but we got it we can't talk about ford and their ev aspirations and not talk about tesla guy and you look at this thing it had that epic epic breakout it went from the prior high right around 900 to what 1250 or so came all the way back filled in that gap Almost made a new high, but didn't. And I suspect you think it's probably going to be retesting that kind of breakout level, past resistance, become support. Is that going to be a magnet for Tesla in the near term? When I was a kid, I liked pixie sticks. They were these long <laughs> cylindrical things that had colored effectively sugar in them. Pretty disgusting. I don't think they even sell them in today's world. But again, probably meant for another podcast, Dan Nathan. Now let's talk about Tesla quickly. I think we had a decent call on this one. I remember saying a couple earnings releases ago that this thing's going to ratcheting through a thousand, probably tops out eleven hundred. It overshot. It got to twelve forty, as you said. But we also said, look, it will back and fill. It will retest the prior all-time high made in February of nine hundred dollars. It did that. You go back on December twentieth, I think was the day, and you'll see it. I thought subsequently we would go ratcheting up fifteen hundred had a bullseye, but we failed at that prior all-time high troubling to say the least so what does it mean now well i gotta tell you dan i think you will agree with this if we were to breach that 900 dollars level that 200 day moving average which i think is about 750 ish is in play and oh by the way you saw a touch that all during the summer of 2021 yeah, fact. Okay, listen, we're almost out of here, but Liz, just let's put a button on what we started with with you and you're buying the dip in the NASDAQ. Things got really oversold over the last week or two in particular. It kind of felt like it was getting a little overdone here without a whole heck of a lot of news. So what's your take here? You think we kind of see a continuation, a little bit of a bounce as we get into the meat of tech earnings over the next week? And then it really comes down to what they're reporting and what sort of visibility they have. Yeah, well, as you know, another one of the good sayings in our industry is you buy the dip or sell the rip. I think oh. in this case, I'd be selling the rip. I'd sell the rip. <laughs> I think I think we're going to see, you know, tech earnings could be good. They, I think they're going to be very, very mixed. And I think it's going to be very name specific. And if you are still overweight, some of those names that you don't want to be overweight and you didn't want to sell when things were going down, this is a time to sell the rip and, and get out and, and reallocate to stuff that's going to do better. Before we get to butters and before we say goodbye to EY, I want to say a couple things. My college roommate that I met in August of 1982 was from Mequon, 
Wisconsin. A huge Packer fan, a season ticket holder to this day. I love my oh, college wow. roommate. Yeah, I also dig you, EY. So against my better judgment, I will be rooting for the Packers of Green Bay on oh, Saturday when God. they kick the oblong ball all over the, the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. So good luck I, with I think that. we call it a, a pigskin. We call it a pigskin, not an oblong ball. Oh, well, <laughs> that was from, as you know, that's from the great Coming to America Again, for another podcast and another time. But listen, check out Liz on Twitter. If you're not following her, as I said a hundred times, you're doing Twitter wrong, at Liz Young Strat. And sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter at SoFi.com backslash daily to read Liz's articles every Thursday. The title alone should get you reading that stuff at EY. (laughs) Uh, I know. My creativity is just off the charts. (laughs) It knows no bounds. Well, we'll catch you next Thursday. Thanks, and good luck on Saturday night. Dan, let's go to Butters here. I mean, because as you know, Butters is the man. One for the road is an earnings insight. And again, these things matter. And the reason why we keep pulling this stuff up and why we're so fortunate to have John Butters is it gives us context for what's going on, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, so we were talking about earnings. We're talking about valuations. We're talking about inflation. We're talking about companies, their ability to kind of pass through higher costs and the consumer's ability to kind of take that. And if the consumer is not willing to kind of take the pass through, then the corporates, they basically have to eat it. And that would hurt margins. So John Butters is in his earnings insight that drops tomorrow morning. He gives us that little preview on Thursdays for Market Call. And we appreciate that. But he's talking about the experience Expected Q4 blended margin about 12%. He's saying if the net profit margin above the year ago net profit of 11%, if it does come in at 12%, that's above the five-year average of 11% or so. So listen, I guess the question that investors are going to have to figure out, Guy, over the next few weeks is that are we hitting sort of peak margins in a way at a time where rates are going higher and maybe corporates and some consumers are starting to feel the pinch of basically non-transitory inflation. I guess I had that wrong last summer, although I do think that inflation expectations that we have right now are probably peak. So maybe that doesn't mean peak margins in Q4. Look, that's going to be the rub, right? Because typically peak margins meet peak markets, and we'll see. I mean, if this continues, if analysts are right, then I think the market's going to be okay. But if for whatever reason these margins start to wane, which is a – listen, that could happen in this environment, Dan. Higher input costs, the inability to pass these costs on the consumer – who, again, everybody says they're in great shape. We'll see how much they've pulled forward and then how much maybe they won't spend given this inflationary environment. That is what you have to be focused on, Dan, Nathan. But what I'm focused on right now is the clock because the clock on the wall, to quote George Thorogood, says 3 o'clock. It actually says 11.32. <laughs> but this has been I'm, – I'm so geeked up on Mountain Dew today, I can't even tell you. This has been Market Call, again, F20 – If you like financial data and earnings content shared during the market call, subscribe to FactSet's Insight blog again at insight.factset.com to access more great content, Dan. Today's market call was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet, SoFi, and we had EY from SoFi, and Open Exchange because they do manage virtual meetings that matter. This one did, Dan Nathan. See you next week, Monday. Market Charts Tuesday, Market Macro, and Thursday for Market Call Street Research. I'm Audi 5000. Are you? Yeah, I am. See you, bud. That was fun. <laughs>